the choices you make and specifically the way you choose to see God matters. How you choose to interpret the circumstances of your life matters because what you choose to believe about Him is who you'll show others that He is. Will you choose to see Him through the eyes of fear and doubt or through the understanding of a God who not only loves us, but is love? Join me today as we learn to see Him rightly, as we learn to choose love. I hope that last week was a good challenge for you. If you missed it, it's the one that is episode three of Choose Love. He's in the stillness. And man, um, I definitely noticed a difference for me this week. And it it really reinstated um, a priority for me and my relationship with the Lord. Just once again, the practice of being still in his presence you know, before I go to sleep at night and first thing when I wake up in the morning, it wasn't like some huge change. I mean, I'm still enjoying some entertainment some evenings, but I don't use that as my very last thought or just, you know, what's it called? Like just numbing myself out until I fall asleep. And because of that, I experienced more of when I did wake up in the night I immediately felt the presence of God and my thoughts immediately went towards the Lord. And I felt like I was able to have more clarity in my spirit. And so if that sounds like something you're missing and you missed last week, or maybe you forgot to say yes to the challenge, I would encourage you to go back and watch that and just see, see what the Lord does. I, I know that, um, He's so intentional with us, which means that, you know, because we're made in his image, we have the capacity and I would say the, the, the responsibility to be intentional back with him. You know, we forget often, I forget that God is not just this, you know, far off being. He is the one that is in our every breath. He is in every single aspect of the makeup of who and what each one of us are. Like he was involved in the details of not just planning us as the human species, but planning each one of us. And, you know, even the, the things that show up in our bodies, um, as and even like our, our mental capacity or whatever that show up as problems and issues. It's not that he designed us that way. Obviously, that was an effect of sin in the earth, in our bodies and in, in our DNA. But he met us there. He met us in those places of weakness before we even knew we had them or knew that we would think of them as areas of weakness. He is literally closer than than the very makeup of who we are, because it all originated in him. You originated in him. And so the idea of relationship and being close to someone and having the capacity within us to want to be close to somebody and have somebody know us and us know them, that all originated in him. 
That was literally not just his idea, but his desire. And so, right, life is too short to not at least try to give him what he wants. You know, the one who we owe everything to, the creator of of all that we are, we owe it back to him to give him the desire of his heart. And his first desire is for you. His first desire is for me. And it, and it expands because that's how and what he's like. Everything within him expands. It makes room for more. Um, I say this sometimes, but I remember when I had our first daughter um, and I, I thought I, I can never have more children <laughs> because there's no way I could love someone else like I love her. Like it would be wrong to have more children. And that was so naive. I didn't understand the capacity that God put in me as a reflection of how he is, the the capacity to expand. And that is an aspect of his nature. He expands. And so everything, I love looking for patterns in God and therefore patterns in how he made me and patterns in how he created things to run best here on earth and how ultimately things probably run in heaven, right? Um, But these patterns that are in him, like that ability to expand, we see it in everything that we get revelation on, all the mysteries and the secrets and the nuances of who he is and what he's like can all be seen through this lens of here and here. He, He interacts with us individually on this intimate level He has a desire for each one of us um, to be in in relationship with him, to relate to him in such a a real, authentic, moment-by-moment kind of way. While at the same time, he has the ability to have this expanded experience with us as humanity, as everyone that's a generation alive right now, as all generations that have ever existed from the beginning of his creation to the final person that is created and made in his image, a whole humanity, all of humanity or all of society. He has the ability to yearn and long for a people while at the same time yearning and longing for just real intimate interaction, honest interaction with you and with me. And, um, So all of that to say, give him what he wants. That's where we find our sweet spot. And that's where we expand. When we enter into the very most individual, one-on-one way of relating to him, moment by moment, leaning into him, remembering him, asking him for anything and everything, and expecting him to be strong where we're weak, all those things. When we do that, it causes us to expand our ability to actually interact with society, the bigger picture. Um, Obviously, we can get stuck there where we're just navel-gazing, and that's the enemy's counterfeit to how God expands us. He wants us to get stuck. Um, But if we will steward well over that moment by moment relationship with him, then 
it will be a natural overflow where we begin to deeply, truly care about others, about the world around us and situations going on around us and in the world. So don't forget to feed your personal relationship with the Father, with Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, one other quick thing I want to say before I jump into what I want to share with you today is just to remember what Choose Love is all about. My hope is that even when you see the title, like even if you don't click play and you don't watch an episode or something, that just seeing the title, Choose Love, will, will provoke you to something specific and two specific things. One is, and this is in the intro that comes at the beginning each time, is, is this idea that we got to see him correctly. Everything is conspiring in this natural realm to cause us to see him inaccurately, to see him as less than he is, to not see him at all, um, to miss him completely, but then to, to just have a contorted view of him, something that's just not at all who he is and who he is is love. And every time we see him and we see evidence of him, which means sometimes noticing how he doesn't show up in the way we thought he should, but seeing all of it, all of him through this lens, this grid of love. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And, um, and anything that tries to convince us differently is us not choosing love, not choosing that filter of love to see him through. Because that's the most accurate way to see, experience, and then reflect who he is. And I always like to follow that up by saying, you know, love doesn't always look like and sound like something gushy and what we want to hear. Sometimes love is discipline. Sometimes love is a hard truth. Sometimes love is, um, is a pursuit on our end, and it is us pressing in and diligently seeking him. So choose love in that regard. Also choose love in how we interact, how we reflect who he is, how we reflect what we have with him. What do you have with God that spills over to others? Um, I think in any significant relationship in our lives, it spills over to others around us. For example, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with each of our kids has so shaped me and formed me and them as well and, and, and shapes and forms even the choices that I make moving forward because I'm, I have them in mind all the time. I have them in mind about my schedule, about what I say, how I say it, what I do publicly, um, what I do in hidden places and hidden moments, the things I talk to God about. It, it's all shaped and formed by these significant relationships in my life in the same way. Um, but even more profoundly, your relationship with God should spill over in a positive way to other people in your life and to everything that you do and to the choices that you make. If it's, um, 
if it's more than just surface, then I'm sure that it already does, you know, spill over and make a difference. And so how do people experience the overflow of my relationship with God? I pray, I hope, my goal is that they would experience it in some kind of expression of love. It doesn't mean that love will be verbally communicated all the time. It might just mean um, my countenance. It might mean the way that I serve them or the way that I follow through on something that I say. Um, we all experience other people. Um, I'm just boiling it down to some a really simple way of perceiving it, but we all experience other people through, you know, it, subconsciously, I'm, I, do I feel like I'm valuable and important based on how they interact with me? And that translates in our hearts to, I feel loved or I don't feel loved. And when we don't feel loved, it's, it's, it creates this environment where fear can flourish. And fear is, uh, I believe, the expression of evil in the world. Um, and evil, just like good, has a name. You know, there's God and there's the enemy, Satan. And his um, evil, it's not neutral. It doesn't just stay stagnant. It, it, it is sin and anything that's not towards God is heading away from God. It doesn't leave us in a neutral position. It is advancing just like the kingdom of God is advancing. And it, it advances in people's lives. It, it takes on deeper and more subsequent consequences in people's lives. So all of that to say, choose love. Like choose love in the way that you, you interpret God in your life and choose love in the way that others experience you. And if you're gonna say a hard truth, if you're gonna have to confront something or someone Make sure that your motive is love. If it's not love and it's fear because you're afraid, then they will not experience the God, the spillover of your relationship with God as a God who loves. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that you're just squishy and soft all the time and you just tolerate anything and everything or back off from truth. It means that you are intentional with how someone is going to perceive your choices and your words, your actions. And we'll never be perfect at it, but this is the goal, choosing love. So, um, all right, I want to share something that came from just this very brief moment. Sometimes I don't remember dreams, but I remember just like, uh, a word or a word picture that I have like right before I wake up and it just is there. The moment I wake up, I'm like, Ooh, I remember that. And I had one of those moments uh, a few days ago and, um, it was this, if you live anywhere where there's kudzu, then you'll understand what I'm about to say. I just simply saw and heard in this little flash, there's kudzu growing over the tree. And that was it nothing profound. Um, but especially here in the South, uh, I think it doesn't make it all the way North, but uh, especially in the South, there's a lot of kudzu. 
And kudzu is um, this green leafy uh, vegetation that literally will grow over anything. It'll take over a house. It'll take over a whole forest of trees. It just grows like crazy and it's super green. So in that respect, it can be really beautiful, um, but it kills whatever it's growing over. It just literally takes over it. And so it got me thinking and processing with the Lord, like what are, why, why am I remembering that? Is there something you're speaking to me in that? And I believe that, that there was. And so I want to get into that with you. Um, we're going to go to a parable, actually two parables in Matthew 13 um, that I believe connect to this. First, I want to tell you just a little bit more about kudzu. Did the little online research. Um, it also has little purple flowers, which I might bring up here in a minute. But kudzu is native to Asia, but it is an invasive species in the rest of the world, meaning it was brought over for whatever reasons to um, the United States, for example, and it's uh, it doesn't die off very easily and it grows super fast. And so it, it just easily took off before they could like get control over it. Um, in Wikipedia, it says a vine densely climbs over other plants and trees and grows so rapidly that it smothers and kills them by blocking most of the sunlight. And it's actually um, traditional Chinese medicine, which I think is interesting. And it is called arrowroot, if, especially if you eat gluten-free like I do. Um, you can use it as a starch to thicken things um, because it is gluten-free. And so it's a starchy powder when you turn it into that. Um, it is also known as an invasive noxious weed. And so it is what it sounds like. Basically, it just takes over and it not only grows underground with lots of roots, but everything above ground is a vine and it can go up and over and just like long trailing vines. Um, it was brought originally as a form of soil erosion control and it can improve the topsoil because the roots that go down um, bring up a lot of nutrients to the surface. And it's good for grazing animals. Um, in fact, here in Tennessee, they started an experiment, I don't know how many years ago, where they allowed goats and llama to graze on it. And, and it's good temporary grazing for these animals and helps control it. So sometimes you'll even see, um, I know in the Atlanta area where kudzu is taken over people's backyards and stuff like that, they will bring in... Um, goats for hire and you can they have these movable fences and they bring in fences and they let the goats just kind of eat um, for a few days in someone's backyard till the kudzu's under control and then take them away and go to the next yard which i think is pretty cool business um so that's that's kudzu and and the main point from that to me is that it it competes for light does that sound like someone you know i mean Lucifer. It's he's always tried to come off as um, the light of the world, the one with the answers. 
when we know who the light of the world actually is. So in Matthew 13, I'm just going to quickly read to you chapter 13, verses 1 through 30, and then I'm going to go back and make some comments about it. So I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Later that day, Jesus left the house and sat by the lake shore to teach the people. Soon there were so many people surrounding him that he had to teach sitting in a boat while the large crowd stood on the shore. He taught them many things by using stories, parables to illustrate spiritual truths, saying, consider this, there was a farmer who went out to sow seeds. As he cast his seeds, some fell along the beaten path and the birds came and ate them. Others fell onto gravel that had no topsoil. They quickly shot up, but when the days grew hot, they were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Others fell among the thorns, so when they sprouted, the thorns choked them. But other seeds fell on good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as he planted. And Jesus says, if you're able to understand this, then you need to respond. Um, other translations that you're probably more familiar with say, he who has ears, let him hear. But I love how um, um, Brian Simmons translated this to, if you're able to understand this, then you need to respond. I love that about the parables is Jesus is, he's showing us an aspect, not only of what he is like, but what the father's like, because he said he came to show us what the father is like. And the father wants us to, to have understanding of deep, profound truths so much that he's willing to like break it down into something natural that we can like relate to. So obviously he's not talking about literal seeds here, but he's, he's helping us connect a spiritual eternal truth to something in the natural. All right, verse 10. Then his disciples approached Jesus and asked, why do you always speak to people in these hard to understand parables? <laughs> I think any one of us might have said the same thing. They were a little maybe more simple-minded than we are now because we have the benefit of Scripture that they didn't have. Jesus explained, You've been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they have not. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. That's why I teach the people using parables, because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. Although they will listen to me, they never fully perceive the message I speak. The prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand a thing I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. Their ears are plugged and are hard of hearing, and they have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear and open their minds to understand. Then they would turn to me and I would instantly heal them. 
Um, just a quick comment on, he said before then, although they listen to me, they never fully perceive the message I speak. So he's saying, this is why I use parables. Um, he's okay with making us have to press in and choose to process. He started the whole thing by saying, consider this. He wants us to consider, like think through, let our minds wander and meditate and come back again and again to something that he said until an aspect of it becomes understandable to us. That process of learning to understand him is, is part of um, the way that he ensures that we're ready to hear it. And he doesn't want us to be accountable for something until we're actually ready to hear it. Um, and I love that he wanted them to understand that and us. So verse 16, all right, but blissful are your eyes for they see. Delighted are your ears for they are open to hear all these things. Many prophets and godly people yearned to see these days of miracles that you've been favored to see. They would have given everything to hear the revelation you've been favored to hear. Now you're ready to hear the explanation of the parable of the sower. So the fact that they are listening, they're wanting, he's wanting them to understand, the timing is right. He actually goes ahead and gives them the, um, you know, the explanation of it. Verse 19, what was sown along the path represents the one who listens to the message of the kingdom, but doesn't understand it. All right. This is the message of the kingdom. A lot of times people take and, and you know, there's layers of truth. It's not that it's wrong to do what I'm about to describe. It's just not the original intention. They will take the parable of the sower and they think that this is all about listening to scripture, like listening to Bible verses and that the Bible verses will hit the truth if the soil of your heart is right. No, it, he says it exactly here what it is. The, what, what was sown along the path represents the one who listens to the message of the kingdom. Now, Johnny and I did a whole up for discussion episode, uh, the last one that we did, episode 17, all about the kingdom. And so if you want to get more into what we mean when we're talking about the kingdom and our understanding of that, um, then go back and watch watch that episode. Um, but in short, the kingdom is God's better way of doing everything. It's, it's the expression of the fact that he cares about all of life, not just our souls for eternity. But um, he is teacher in education. He's provider in economy. He's uh, papa in family. He is king in government. He knows the better way of doing, therefore healing, each of these broken areas or broken systems of our culture. All right. Message of the kingdom, but doesn't understand it. The adversary, meaning Satan, then comes and snatches away what was sown into his heart. The one sown on gravel represents the person who gladly hears the kingdom message, but his experience remains shallow. 
Shortly after he hears it, troubles and persecutions come because of the kingdom message he received. Then he quickly falls away for the truth did not sink deeply into his heart. The one sown among thorns. This is what I want to compare to the kudzu. Uh, other translations don't say thorns there. They say weeds. Basically, it's anything that takes over and uh, invades the soil or invades other plants that are there. The one sown, sown among thorns represents one who receives the message of the kingdom. But all of life's busy distractions, his divided heart, and his ambition for wealth result in suffocating the kingdom message, and it becomes fruitless. But what was sown on good, rich soil represents the one who hears and fully embraces the message of the kingdom. Their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as was sown. All right, in a moment, I'm going to finish out the next six verses, um, which is another parable, a parable of the weeds. So talking briefly about the parable of the sower, um, we, we could obviously do an in-depth teaching on each of these um, examples that he gives on the different kinds of people that hear and take in the message of the kingdom and how they steward it or don't steward it. But I want to focus in on the thing that I felt God focusing in on for me, which was this idea of kudzu. <laughs> um, kudzu, remember, is this invasive weed and it chokes out. That word choke means strangle, drown, crowd, or press to suffocate. So basically, it's something that takes over what sh what has the right to be there in the first place. So obviously, if you sow something intentionally in the ground, you do not want weeds there. You would never intentionally have weeds planted on purpose with something else that you're growing, flowers or vegetables or whatever. Um, because of that very reason, because it can suffocate and take over and take the nutrients, take the light, take the um, moisture that all needs to go to the thing you're trying to get to see fruit from. So the kingdom of God is meant to show up as fruit in our lives. It's not something that we look at and watch happen. The kingdom of God actually comes through us. We are that soil and the kingdom grows in us. We show up in society. We show up in these areas of, of culture, these systems that we've put into place. Um, and, and we either um, promote God's better way of doing something or the enemy's broken way of enslaving us through that broken area of culture. And you know, even not bad intentioned people, our best is never as good as God's way of doing it. Um, and he, you know, he, as we grow in him and we grow to be more of a reflection of what he's like, then we see the fruit of that show up in the areas of culture, in our areas of business or education or family, the things that we do day to day. Um, and we begin to reflect 
um, an aspect ultimately of who he is and how he is. That's the kingdom and that's the fruit of the kingdom that comes through us. So that's the thing that obviously the adversary is trying to choke out in our lives. He doesn't want us to step into our purpose and our destiny um, as it relates to kingdom being seen through us, through you. So what are the three ways that are listed there in um, Matthew 13 that um, are uh, an example of how this kudzu steals our ability to bear kingdom fruit in our lives, this weed that is invasive. Number one, life's busy distractions. Um, one of the words for that, when you go back to the original um, Greek, it is solicitude. So, you know, you see the signs when you go somewhere, no soliciting, meaning don't come knocking on my door trying to sell me something. That's not why I live here. I don't want to be interrupted and sold something when I'm at home or when I'm at someone's business. The enemy, the adversary, Satan, he is constantly trying to solicit us, to sell us something, to convince us of something. And he catches us off guard. He comes when we don't even realize that we're being solicited. And it comes across as something harmless, a little distraction, you know, um, Oftentimes I get frustrated in my day because when you work at home, you, you relate to this. And so many of us work from home, especially nowadays, that, you know, I'm walking through the room to go on a mission. You know, I've got something that I'm specifically working on and I, and I walk past a load of laundry and I'm like, oh, <laughs> let me just stop real quick and fold these. It's, it's a constant soliciting to come over here and check this out. And it derails us from our ability to bear kingdom fruit. What do those distractions look like in your life? It doesn't mean it's something bad. It just might mean that um, more focus is required. Like when, when God puts something in your heart to do and accomplish, do it, accomplish it. Don't let something throw you off and then it's just this unending thing and you've missed the timing altogether or you never actually follow through and do it. Um, and then another way to say life's busy distractions and other translations is the cares of this world. Um, that can sound so like, you know, us versus them. There's the world and then there's us. And in the world, you care about earthly things, but I'm sorry, I'm living on the earth. So I do have cares of this world. It's not that they're necessarily bad things. It's, uh, there's another aspect of this word that means anxiety. So it's allowing things to come at us, be solicited as a distraction. It comes at the wrong time, the wrong way, the wrong opportunity. Um, and also something that causes anxiety in us, striving. Um, like I have to, that feeling of being pushed. I, I don't I don't want to be pushed by the enemy, nor do I want to be held back by the enemy. And there's that sweet spot of in between. Therefore, what's the solution to that is being led by the spirit and not letting anything get you off that track with Holy Spirit in the practical things of your life, because the practical things translate to 
um, you know, what you're able to, to give your life's energy to related to kingdom fruit, right? So um, especially when you understand that kingdom fruit is not about being in ministry. It's about whatever you are called to do, where you're called to bring influence and to serve and to be a difference maker, to change the world for better. Um, it's not getting thrown off of your course. Um, and then and the second thing is a divided heart. Oh man, we often get divided hearts um, where, you know, it's very similar to what, what I just explained, but a divided heart can happen so subtly. It's where we have allowed ourselves to prioritize simultaneously two things. And, you know, my family, for example, is super important to me. Uh, what I do for career ministry is super important to me. So there's two very super important things. Both are very important in my life and understandably so, but I have to have one over the other. Like they can't both, I have a divided heart if I don't have one that is clearly distinct above priority than the other, and that is my family. Um, so when it comes down to moments where I have to make decisions, I have to make choices, I it's already determined. I don't have a divided heart. I'm not, you know, and I would say that when my heart was less healed than it is now, um, I did have a divided heart. And there were probably times that I, I'm sure there were, I know there were, there were times that I went on trips with Johnny because I didn't want to miss out. And I left our kids, you know, with good people sometimes. Um, some situations I found out later were not good experiences for them. It's not that they were damaged, you know, anything horrible, but enough that it it hurt their hearts. And looking back, I realized it was fear that led me, not Holy Spirit. And so some of the times when I traveled with him, it was out of fear of being left out, left behind, that I didn't prioritize my family. So my heart was divided because I didn't make that clear distinction ahead of time within myself so that when it came down to make decisions. Anyway, you get you get the example. The third thing that can choke out um, kingdom fruit in our lives is the ambition for wealth. Dis another translation says it deceptive riches. Another uh, way to explain riches are wealth, possessions, abundance, or the delusion of riches, deceitfulness of riches, the delusion of riches. So it's not having wealth. It's not having possessions. It's not having abundance. It's the delusion that comes with them. They say money speaks. Um, abundance speaks. Possessions speak. They're constantly telling us, prioritize me, take care of me, make sure there's enough of me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't really speak, but you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they pull on our hearts. They, they cause motives in us to shift and change if we're not intentionally saying no. And so money and all that is connected to money, which is, you know, what you can buy with money, um, your possessions, your car, your home, 
uh, the things that constantly need fixing that you buy, um, that you steward over, that you own, properties, all of it, all of these things have a delusion that is potentially there. And, you know, the obvious one is, I'm what makes you happy. And so we prioritize, obviously, at least subconsciously, what makes us happy. So the delusion is that. The delusion is also um, in, you can't live without me, you know? And so we, we design our lives in how to keep control over these things so that we have them and so that we don't lose them and so that we're happy with them, you know? So these are some hints. I'm sure there are other things that can choke out our kingdom, our ability to bear kingdom fruit. Um, it's just a good time to take inventory on those things. Is there anything in your life that, like kudzu, is trying to steal light, the light of your attention, the light of your ability to let in what helps the right things in your life grow and bear fruit? All right, I'll finish with this. Verse 24, then Jesus taught them another parable. Heaven's kingdom can be compared to a farmer who planted good seed in his field. Good seed in his field. But when everyone was asleep, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and ran away. When the wheat sprouted and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. So the farmer's hired hands came to him and said, Sir, wasn't that good seed that you sowed in the field? Where did all these weeds come from? He answered, This has to be the work of an enemy. They replied, do you want us to go and gather up all the weeds? No, he said, if you pull out the weeds, you might uproot the wheat at the same time. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell my harvesters to gather the weeds first and tie them all in bundles to be burned. Then they will harvest the wheat and put it into my barn. Um, so I'm going to actually go on real quick to his explanation of that. Verse 37, um, they said, you know, explain the deeper meaning of the parable of the weeds growing in the field of wheat. Jesus answered, the man who sowed his field with good seed is the son of man. All right, we're switching gears now. This is Jesus speaking of himself. And the field is the world. So here the analogy, the, the word picture, the parable that we just went through, the parable of the sower is, is that intimate relationship between us and the Father. Okay, now he's switching gears and he's looking, he's taking us to the bigger picture. So we, we know, we just talked about what does it look like when we're individually targeted by the enemy so that we will not, cannot bear the kingdom fruit we were meant to bear. Now, what does it look like in the bigger picture of the kingdom of God um, in the earth? The field is the world. The good seeds I sow are the children of the kingdom realm. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest points to the end of this age and the harvesters are God's messengers. As the weeds are bundled up and thrown into the fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his messengers and they will uproot everything out of his kingdom. All the lawless ones and everything that causes sin will be removed. And they will throw them into the fiery furnace where they will experience great sorrow and anguish. 
Then the righteous will shine like the brightness of the sun in their father's kingdom realm. If you're able to understand this, then you'd better respond. So, um, you know, I just, first of all, I love how Jesus takes us from that individual understanding and application to the bigger picture. He always puts our lives in the context of the biggest story of all, the story that is playing out. We're usually really off on the timing of that story, but we're somewhere in there where the wheat and the tares are growing together. Um, I want to make this disclaimer. It is not up to us. We are not the ones to determine if someone is a child of evil or a child of God. That happens in the heart of our Father, who is the only righteous judge. He's the only one that knows what's truly going on in someone's heart, no matter what it looks like on the surface. Um, and people are in process, you know? I mean, some people are in a season of life where they look like they're just great with God and walking with him. And we have no idea where their true heart is. They may not at all be in a place of um, being a child of the light. And yet, you know, I don't know where their heart is going to take them in the reverse. You don't know if someone is in, you know, a really confused place and they have not begun to step into who they are as a child of God, but at some point they will. And so point with that is this is not about us labeling people or certainly not interacting with people in a different way, depending on who we think they are. Um, my choice is unless someone is doing something and the fruit of their life is clearly evil, like they have made a choice to partner with evil himself um, even then, I'm going to be loving and kind, but I'm not going to call what they're doing good. I'm not going to be, you know, supporting something that is obviously harming them and harming others. But people who are in process, I'm going to love them like they're my brother and my sister, and they may or may not eventually make that choice. I don't know. That's between them and God. So my point with that, and we'll close with this, is... We are in this bigger story that God is God is telling. And the things that come against the kingdom of light um, that were described here in the scripture, the, the, the wheat that the tares that grow with the wheat, um, obviously the choices that are being made by people that have partnered with evil affect all of us. And so there's a, there's a weight of responsibility of walking in that place of partnering with God in, in moving who he is as love and light and goodness forward in the earth without imposing on anyone and without insisting through our heart motive or our words that who we don't think of as children of God should be somehow removed or not have a voice or not matter. And it's, it's a really sticky time right now in history because we're learning, I believe we'll be more and more to see 
more clearly good versus evil. And in that, how we interact with others is huge. And God chose for a reason for wheat and tares to grow together. And so, you know, part of an ongoing conversation with the Lord dialogue is what does that look like? You know, what does it look like in the messiness of, of that? The choice that God made to um, have things unfold the way that they are. And, you know, I'm not pretending to sit here and have all the answers. Um, it's something that I'm still walking through with the Lord. And, um, you know, we all have things going on in our lives where the the... The contradiction of differences of opinions and perspectives in our own families, in our own churches, in the body of Christ itself. Like we're just across the board, see things so differently right now. And I just think we're right on schedule. You know, I choose not to be overwhelmed by that. I choose not to take that on as a burden, but to see it as while I'm learning personally, how to bear kingdom fruit and not allow the cares of this world and the anxiety and all of that to choke out my own relationship with God and the fruit that I'm called to bear in, in the kingdom, you know, the overflow of my relationship with him. I'm not, I'm not going to take that out of the context of the bigger picture, nor am I going to, to feel like overwhelmed by the fact that in the bigger picture, we're, we're on schedule. Like we're not, this is not, um, this is not too hard for God. He is okay with the process of our individual hearts and he's okay with the process that's going on in the bigger picture of the world. He knows, he sees all, nothing surprises him. Redemption is sewn into every single aspect of history, past, present, and forward. Redemption is sown into every aspect of your heart and your life. If you will allow yourself to align with it, your past, your present, and your future. This is who our God is. He's a redeemer. Nothing that he interacts with stays like it is. Nothing. It's only always increasing, moving forward towards heaven, literally. <laughs> so be encouraged today. Um, I pray that you, um, dig in deeper into the things that he's speaking to your heart, follow through on the things that he's challenging you on and choose love.